This series is called The Hour of His Time. And it's about the appointed times, the seasons of God's design. The I am, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the ending. So before we go into the Word of God, we enter into prayer, and let's bow our hearts. Heavenly Father, what an incredible, faithful, awesome, majestic, almighty, powerful God you are. Lord, let us immerse ourselves in you daily. Let us drink from your well so that you restore and revive us with your sweet living water, Lord. Father, we thank you for giving us your word that has stood the test of time, that has given us the beginning and the ending of all things. There is no other book under the heavens that encompasses such vast, such incredible fields and incredible things, and it's all in your word. So Lord, wash us with the water of your word. Open our hearts and, and open our ears that we may truly hear and understand your word and understand the times that we live in through the lens of your scripture as you focus your rays of light. And Lord, give us the discernment to know what is of you and in the times that we live in, Lord. So Lord, we just lay ourselves as your foot soldiers and your ambassadors and stewards on this earth to you, Lord. And we give you all the glory and we're in such awe and wonder of you because you are who you say you are and you gave us history before it happened. In Jesus' name, Amen. Okay, the hour of his time. So if we look, what is the precession and progression of his story? We use the word history, and, uh, and one of the things you've realized I like etymology and I like to break down words. Etymology is the root of words. And this is, this is just a simple mindset that the Holy Spirit gave me one day. That history is His story. It's God's story. Not man's. So if we look at the sands of time, we've heard this discussion before. Let's look at firstly, what is an appointment? Yeah, and this is the meaning of this word, and it, it means an agreement. It's also a fixing of a date for official business. It's from the old French word appointment, or from appointer, which means to arrange, settle, or place, or from the Latin punctum, which is a small hole made by pricking. And the ground sense is to come to a point about some matter, meaning to put in charge, authoritatively nominate or assign. 
This is an appointment. We know there are certain, you know, if, if we make an appointment, then we better be there, right? Yeah? And what is a procession? What does the word procession mean? So it's an act of going before and moving forward and an advance. And from the 1590s, from late, the, the late Latin word, processionem, a pronouncement of processio, is a coming before, and it's a past particle stem of the procedere, to go before, originally used in reference to calculations of the equinoxes, which come slightly earlier each year in a phenomenon which was discovered by Hipparchus in 190 BCE to 120 BCE. So these are some words that we're going to get familiar with. And we think of the procession, and that's really is the movement of the heavens, the orbit of the earth, the stars in the sky and everything that has been created in its procession and order. So in this series, we really are going to tackle what is relevant in, in, in so many ways for us now today and, and try and lift the veil behind some of the, the questions that we have as believers, that as disciples in Christ, we need to understand not only the times that we live in, but we need to be able to discern what is from God and what is not from God, and the distinction between the two and where they come from. So in this exciting series, we're going to start to understand the times through the lens of Scripture. We're going to look at the beginning and the ending of all things. The laws of creation. The laws of men and traditions of men the law of liberty and grace. In the last season we spoke at length about that we are both under the law of God and under the law of grace. But what does it mean is what we're going to get into. And, and which calendar and which clock do we follow? You know, the watches that we have, the, the 24 hours in a day, where did that come from? You know, which calendar we live in and the days of the week? We're going to look at the heavenly times, the stars in the heavens, and the gospel in the stars. And in the, the Hebrew word for the constellations is the Matzeroth, and this comes from the book of Job. And we're going to look at, because the Bible contains all of these things for us, and, and often the English language capture some of it, but once you start getting into the etymology and the root of the Hebrew words, one can get a, 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 a clearer understanding of what God was meaning. We're going to look at the feasts of the Lord. What are the feasts of God? You know, the earthly times. What are the days, the weeks, the months, the, se uh, the seasons, and the festivals that we live? Where did they come from? You know, and what is our appointment time with God and what is the hour and the time of God's appointed times and seasons 
In God's word, he wrote history before it happened. And so with this in view, we can understand the times that we live in. So many times we ask for what's next. But the Bible has already told us, God has already told us in his word, if we line it up with the discernment of what's happening in this world. Um, you know, through his prophets, I mean, God says in the book of Amos that he will not do anything unless he has revealed it through his prophets. And, and what is a prophet? This is another issue. A prophet... In, in the, the definition, means an inspired speaker. An inspired speaker speaking the testimony of Jesus Christ. A prophet is not somebody who's going to tell your fortune. You know, it's not fortune telling. It's not divination. It's speaking the testimony of Jesus Christ. And this is what these prophets in, in the book of Peter said, this scripture that we came across did not come to ordinary men, it came to came by holy men, an interpretation by holy men through the Holy Spirit. It's the breath of God. So in the beginning, in the, crea the, the creation, in Genesis 1, verse 3 to 5, it said, God said, and let there be light, and there was light. And God saw the light, it was good, and God divided the light from the darkness, and God called the light day, and the darkness night, and the evening and the morning were the first day. Now I alluded to this in the previous session, about when God said, let there be light. The sun was only created on the fourth day. And in the Hebrew we can see this. The word for light is all ray in the Hebrew. And the devil has counterfeited with all ray. Exactly. The word has become all ray in this world. But when God said, let there be light, it's all ray. And it's illumination or concretely illuminary in every sense, including lightning, happiness, bright and clear. That is the light that God spoke into existence. And then what many of us forget is that God created both light and both darkness. He created good and evil. So we must think about this in our prayers. We mustn't say, you know, many times we say, Lord, don't let the evil prevail in this world. And the Holy Spirit convicted me of this week. God created both of these for a reason. And we'll get into this. And the word darkness, so it says here, God divided the light from the darkness. So he separated the two. And darkness means, figuratively, misery, destruction, death, ignorance, sorrow, wickedness, dark, night, and obscurity. And the word is koshek. In the Hebrew. So God created the good and the bad. The light and the dark. The darkness was not created by Lucifer. The devil was a, was a created being. He was a cherubim. He was a cherubim that covered 
But he didn't create anything. God had already separated light and darkness. And this is when, in John 1, where Jesus said that I have become the light to be made manifest in the darkness so that men may have light, so they would stop living in darkness. So, this is a, is a, is a, is a clear mind shift. God created all of this. And it's all about testing and trying and proving our hearts is what God is trying to do. So he uses the darkness to prove and test us and refine us. Because if we never challenged, if we never unsettled in our, in our life or in some circumstance, we're never going to grow. And this is about discipline and discipleship. Because if everything was easy, we'd never change. We'd be comfortable. We'd be, you know, content. Yeah, everything's going great. And, uh, you know, someone said to me once, if you're under trial or if you're under fire, know that you're doing something right for God because it means you're a threat to the devil. So, you know, and just change our mindsets about these things. So realize, welcome it, because also a trial that comes can also mean that God is promoting me. He wants to grow me. So bring it on. So you've overcome the trial before, so now you are stronger in your faith. So that means you've got the next ladder to climb up. And you look at the Word of God and His story. And we've been through the details about how the, every letter was inscribed. I mean, just, just think about this. A God who lets us prove His, his existence would be an idol. And this is from Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He is a guy, um, and I'll get into a bit more about Dietrich a bit later. What an incredible, incredible man of God. And I'll just tell you a bit about his story. Um, he was executed in the Nazi concentration camps in 1945 for standing up as a believer. And he died at the age of 39. He laid it all down. And what an incredible man. He wrote an incredible book called The Cost of Discipleship. He's written a few books. But this is one of his quotes. Because think about it. God doesn't need to prove he exists. He doesn't. He's the ancient of days. He's the pre-existing one. Is what, that's what the word Elohim means, the pre-existing one. You know, we need to line up behind him and in his will. We don't need to prove he exists or not. And this is what the world, the world is always trying to disprove God. Or they're trying to discredit God or discredit Christianity. But he is God. We can't put him in a box. And, and the law of creation... And, and the signs of, and the seasons, in Genesis 1 verse 14 it says, And God said, Let the, there be lights in the firmament of the heaven to divide the day from the night. This is where the sun and the moon are created, and the stars. It says, And let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. This is where God creates His calendar. And His calendar is in 
the fabric of creation. And the word sign in the Hebrew means off, which is a signal, literally or figuratively, as a flag, a beacon, a monument, an omen, a prodigy, an evidence, a mark or a miracle. This is what a sign is. And the word season in the Hebrew is mo'adeh, mo'adeh, mo'adah which is properly an appointment that is a fixed time or season, specifically a festival, conventionally a year, by implication an assembly as convened for a definite purpose. So this is what the Hebrew says about an appointment. So when God says this is an appointment, we better be there and we better be ready for that appointment. We must be prepared for that appointment. So we're getting to understanding what, if God has an appointment with all of us, when and how, and how do we know that it's the time? God has said it in the beginning. You know, Solomon, God accounted as, as being the wisest man in all of history. He writes this in Ecclesiastes, nothing is new under the sun. We've read this one before. It says, I have concluded that everything that God undertakes will last for eternity. Just pause there for a moment. Forever. Nothing can be added to it, nor taken away from it. It's complete. God's creation was completed. And that God acts this way so that people will fear Him. Now I want to get into what this word fear means. The fear of the Lord, it says in the book of Proverbs, is the beginning of wisdom and understanding. The fear of the Lord is not man's fear. The fear of the Lord is the reverence the awe, the respect of who He is, a holy God, a holy creator. It's about having the respect of Him and His title and His authority and His character. It's about knowing our place. We are not to dictate anything to Him. You know? And this is why uh, Paul says, for it is with fear and trembling we are to work out our salvation. And this is what he's referring to. And then he says also in the book of 1 Corinthians 2, he says, For I did not come to you in excellency of speech. I did not come to you in the wisdom of this world. But in fear and trembling I come to you with the gospel, which is Christ. This is what he says. And this is about the godly reverence and godly respect of who God is. And it's that attitude of worship, that attitude of you are God. And, and it says, that which was, now is, and which will be, already is. And God examines what has already taken place. So things past, 
things currently and things yet to come have already been. So with this understanding, we are going to delve into these, these subjects. And this is what he continues to say in this particular scripture. It's, it's in Ecclesiastes 3. It says, I also examined on earth where the halls of justice were supposed to be, there was lawlessness. And where the righteous were supposed to be, there was lawlessness. So he said, where there was supposed to be justice, there was lawlessness. Where there was righteousness, there was there, there's still lawlessness. And I told myself, God will judge both the righteous and the wicked, because there is a time set to judge every event and every work. And as for human beings, I told myself, God puts them to the test. This is what this life is about. Being tested, proved, and tried worthy of God. To be a child of God in His army, in His kingdom, in His family. And he says that they might see themselves as mere animals. And that's sobering. And he says, for what happens to people also happens to animals. A single event happens to them, just as someone dies, so does the other. And in fact, they all breathe the same way. So that a human being has no superiority over an animal, and all of this is pointless. Or the word he uses in King James is vanity. And all of them go to one place, and all of them originate from dust. And all of them will return to dust. And he's talking about the folly or the vanity of man's endeavors. That God created the fleshly man from the dust. And when we pass in the natural fleshly, we will return to the dust. And he's saying, how much more different are we than the other animals out there in this world? But where we are different is we have a living soul that is placed within us, an eternal soul. And our soul, we need to be on the right side of God's law and on the right side of His will. The history of man, and if you look at the history books, this is man's way. I mean... I'm, I'm saying flippantly, we've probably got four generations of, of people here in this room. When each of you were at their respective levels at school, what history was taught then? And then in the next generation, what history was taught then? Yeah? What history was taught to me? What history is my daughter or your children or grandchildren learning today? Is it the same history? The history book different? Yeah, it's different. And the question is and the question is why? Yeah? And and, and, and I've just taken a couple of quotes from Winston Churchill. He said, History will be kind to me, for I intend to write it. Eh? And he also says, History is written by the victors. And this is so true. The 
rise and fall of nations in man's story. I mean, you look at these ancient civilizations. I mean, here we have the terracotta armies. You know, by a great general in China. And he meticulously took every single one of his soldiers and every single feature, even the horses, all the food, all the provisions and everything they needed. I mean, this is massive. And he made terracotta statues of his army. But they did. They're not alive. They did. You know, and this was a great empire. And a great emperor, which is, is so interesting that the word merchant in the Greek is emporos, which means emperor, where we get the word emperor from. And now we're looking, this is the Assyrian Empire. Look what's left of it. I mean, this is stone. I mean, this didn't take them a few days or just quickly. They didn't have the modern tools and they didn't have, I mean, they're craftsmen and that that they had. But if we look at these ruins of all these great civilizations, all conquering civilizations, and what's left of them today, thousands of years later, you know, we have just a bit of a foundation and half a pillar here and half a pillar there. And then you find that, that, that men, you know, when they've resettled these places, they've used that material to build the next city and the next city. I mean, most of the cities that we see today are from the industrial age. Most of the stuff that we have is the last 150 years. But now we have the pyramids. I mean, this is thousands of years ago. These were all built, but look at them, they're in ruin. They are ruins for a reason. And the point I want to make is that whatever the society or the civilization, and however they, they try to retain their power, and however they try to write their history, they do not stand this day in the natural. I mean, that's a granite sculpture. There's the Pharaoh's head. It's in ruins. And it should be a sobering f fact that that is no more. It's returning to dust. Even the stone is returning to dust. And now this is Angkor Wat. This is in Cambodia. You've got different civilizations all over the world. And these supposed ancient civilizations and these monuments that remain but are in decay. The men who built these monuments don't live anymore. And, um, you know, the detail on some of these, I mean, the craftsmanship is incredible. But it, it doesn't remain today. But praise be to God, we have His Word that is forever settled. His word has never changed. Look at this in the, in the jungle, in the Amazon. I mean, this is an Incan ruin. Look at the tree that's grown over that ruin. That's a massive tree. That tree itself is hundreds of years old. And this is what remains of empires and nations over time.
for those who believe in the name of the living God and the name above all names, Jesus. Our eternal Jesus is the promise of God revealed. And Jesus says in John 5, he says, Do not suppose that I will be the one that accuse you before the Father. Your accuser is Moses, on whom you have set your hope, because if you believed Moses, and you would, then you would believe me, since he wrote about me. But if you do not believe what he wrote, how will you believe my words? This is Jesus himself saying that the law of Moses, the law of God, will be the measure by which people will be judged. Jesus won't be the accuser. And every New Testament writer refers to the early chapters of Genesis. Portions of chapters 1 to 11 are referred to in the New Testament. Every single, you know, the Old Testament is the prehistory, the creation, the beginning of all things, the covenants of God, the birth of a nation, and the history of a nation. Whereas the New Testament is the history of a man and the story of a man who was God, became man seated at the right hand of the Father. And it was written in one lifetime. But every writer refers to the book of Genesis. And in John 5, 39, he says, Search the Scriptures, for in them ye think ye have eternal life, and are they, and they are they which testify of me. Jesus Christ is on every page. And it's the law of Moses that is God's measure. That is settled. Those Ten Commandments. So why study the beginning? Genesis. And what it means really, it is the book of beginnings. You, know, you see, uh, I mean, there are many things now, I mean, the, the, this word has been used in different fields now. When they say, when they want to find out how something started, what is the genesis of this? That's what genesis means. And in the Bible, it's about the law of first mention. So when, when the Holy Spirit has a, a theme in the Word of God, it is carried through consistently throughout the Bible. So, and so we have the creation of all visible and invisible things. We have man and woman that are created. We have the Sabbath. We have marriage. We have the home. We have childhood. We have the first sin and the fall of man. We have the murder of Cain and Abel, the brothers. We have the animal sacrifices or the sacrifice being an atonement of sins. And we have grace in Genesis. We have trade. We've got agriculture. We've got city life in the book of beginnings. And we'll get into the, the, the thing is, the days of Noah, these were advanced civilizations. These were not nomadic tribes or Bedouin or 
or hunter-gatherers. And that will be one of our sessions. But there was trade, agriculture, and city life. You know, there were different races and different languages. And there was a chosen people, etc. You see, all of this is there in Genesis. And did you know that the book of Genesis anticipates all false philosophies? Atheism. Genesis says the world was created by God. Pantheism. Genesis says God is transcendent and distinguishable. Polytheism. Genesis says there is one God. Materialism. Genesis says that matter had a beginning. Humanism. Genesis says that God, not man, is the ultimate reality. Evolutionism. Genesis says God created. Uniformism. Genesis says that God intervenes in his creation. Sexism. God says that God created man and woman as one flesh, equal. Racism. Genesis says that God created man in his image and his likeness. All of these isms is all in the book of beginnings. Nothing new is under the sun. Every major doctrine in our belief from the beginning to end is also contained in this book and they have their roots in Genesis. The sovereign election of a people or a person, the salvation, the justification by faith, a believer's security and the covenants, the separation of a people, the disciplinary chastisement, the divine incarnation of God, the death and resurrection, spiritual warfare, the supernatural war for the souls of men and women, all starts in Genesis. The bride of Christ is alluded to, the church. And the fulfillment of the promise of God. The covenants of God and man. Covenants of a nation. And as a royal priesthood. And the rapture, the hypotso of the church. Is in Genesis. The priesthoods, the Aaronic or the Levitical priesthoods and Melchizedek. The Antichrist is in the book of the beginnings. The rise and fall of Babylon. God wins, my brothers and sisters. The plan of restoration, redemption and victory of God is in the book of the beginnings until the end. He wins and it is his story. Not man's way, but God's ways. For it says, many are the plans of a man's heart, but it's the way of the Lord that prevails. And if we look at the comparison between the beginning and the end, 
In Genesis, earth was created. In the book of Revelation, earth passed away. And when many people have asked me, please teach on Revelation, my answer is, well, Revelation is from Genesis to Revelation and back to Genesis again. It literally is. Because it's the, the Alpha and the Omega of God's Word. It's the start and the end. And the study thereof. And a lot of the symbols that are in Revelation, if we don't understand the prophets and the symbols that they used and the Hebrew words and what they really mean, not what I think they mean, but what God is saying they mean, then it makes complete sense. So this is the path that we are going on here. So the earth was created, the earth passed away. We have the sun, moon and the stars in the beginning and the end book. We have the earth's government that is set up. And we have the earth's judgment at the end of the book. We have the sun to govern the day and at the end of the book there's no more need for the sun. There's darkness that is called light in the beginning. And there is no night there. The waters he called seas. And the end of the book, there's no more sea. A river for the earth's blessing. At the end of the book, a river for a new earth. Man is created in God's image. At the end of the book, man is headed by Satan's image. Beginning of the book, we have the entrance of sin. At the end, we have the end of sin. Beginning, we have the curse pronounced. At the end, we have no more curse. The beginning of the book, death entered. The end, no more death. The beginning, man is driven out of Eden. At the end, man is restored. The beginning, the tree of life is guarded, and at the end, the access to the tree of life is given. Sorrow and suffering enter. At the end, there will be no more sorrow. Nimrod finds Babylon. At the end, Babylon falls. God's flood to destroy an evil generation. At the end of the book, it's Satan's flood to destroy an elect generation. A bow, or a rainbow, as we have called it. We have God's promise of grace, the rainbow of generation. And at the end of the book, it will be a bow for remembrance. And what's interesting, this bow refers to, in the Hebrew the curvature or the arcing. So it can be the rainbow, the spectrum of light, but the bow, there's also a bow of the heavens, which is how the stars, the procession of the stars is also called a bow. And around the throne of God is also the bow with the colors. I mean, if you remember when Elijah was translated, what appeared on him? Like a bow. The rainbow was around him when he was translated. So the bow of remembrance. And then an evil confederation at the beginning of the book versus Abraham's people. 
the battle of nine kings and the war of the giants. Guys, we're getting into some mystical stuff here. Yeah, but this is what happened. And at the end of the book, we have an evil confederation versus against Abraham's seed. At the beginning of the book, we have a bride for Abraham's son. At the end, we have a bride for Abraham's seed. Because as the church, in Romans 9 to 11, Paul nails it, who we are, that we have been grafted into the promise and the covenant of Abraham. We've been grafted into that tree. So we are still the seed of Abraham, is what God calls it. So, and then we have the marriage of the first Adam at the beginning of the book. And then we have the marriage of the last Adam. The last, the, the marriage of the bride and the groom. We have man's dominion ceased and Satan's reign begins at the fall of man. And at the end we have Satan's dominion ended and man's restored. From beginning to end. You see the contrasts. Why would we want to read any other book? It's got all that we need to know. And if we spend more time with him understanding what the book actually says, you know, the Holy Spirit sheds light on the Bible. And every single one of these studies is about creating a hunger to know more about our King, our Lord, our Creator, about God, about Jesus, and how we can be those ambassadors. But clearly here, the beginning of history and the end of history has been written and given to us in this book. Amazing. And when you just simplify it like that, it just makes sense. And we, so, we often get so busy trying to find out what's next, instead of looking what's already in front of us, in the Word of God. But it's about using the discernment to understand what's going on and what's God's system, and looking what God's calendar is, what His watch is. And when we understand that, it becomes very clear about the times that we live in. Now we look at Christ's measure. What does the law of liberty and grace look like to me? What does it mean to us as a believer? What is the true cost of discipleship? And what is discipleship? Discipleship is really about growing and maturation in the knowledge of Jesus Christ so that we become transformed more like him and less of us he must increase we must decrease and it's going from being a baby drinking the milk of the word and being able to have the, and eat the meat of the word of God so as I said the word of God is so simple a child can understand but yet so deep and so vast that the deepest well could never even reach. So, and now, I just want to, and this is now getting to Bonhoeffer. Now Dietrich Bonhoeffer um, wrote these books, and, and, and you would be able to find a copy of this book online. Um, 
If you guys don't have it, I could probably get it to you. But it's it's definitely one of the books that God took me to, and it's quite. I'm I'm sad Chris is not here today. It was one of the books he sent me as well. But this has also influenced Chris tremendously. Is the story of this man's life. You know, I mean, he he was born in I think 1906, and he was executed in 1945 in a concentration camp, and he witnessed the rise of the Third Reich and of Hitler and in 1939 he left Germany but then God convicted him and sent him back to Germany because he said that um, how can he run away from the fire and all these things that are happening in his own homeland and his own country and not help his own people in Germany so he went back into Germany in the war and an incredible story and testimony and he talks about two concepts one of them being cheap grace and costly grace now cheap grace and I just want to end on this is this is a plague that's in our church and many of our churches I'm talking as the corporate church you know, God is the one who knows our individual hearts. I'm talking as the body of Christ. You know, and bringing into what was said about God's army and how where we stand. And so this is a, and this is from John, from Dietrich Bonhoeffer's book. And he says, cheap grace is the mortal enemy of the church. Our struggle today is for costly grace. I mean, this was written 80 years ago. Okay? Cheap grace means grace as bargain basement goods. Cut rate forgiveness. Cut rate comfort. Cut rate sacrament. Grace as the church inexhaustible pantry from which it is doled out by the careless hands without hesitation or limit. It is grace without a price, without costs. It is said that the essence of grace is that the bill for it is paid in advance for all time and everything can be had for free courtesy of that paid bill. The price paid for infinitely great is infinitely great and therefore, the possibilities of taking advantage of and wasting grace are also infinitely great. Very, very true words. Let's not waste this grace that we have been given. And cheap grace means justification of sin, but not the sinner. Because grace alone does everything, and everything can stay in its old ways. Cheap grace is preaching forgiveness without repentance. It is baptism without the discipline of community. It is the Lord's Supper without confession of sin. It is absolution without personal confession. Whew. 
Cheap grace is grace without discipleship and grace without the cross. Grace without the living incarnate Jesus Christ. He is the author and the finisher of our faith. And this is Dietrich Bonhoeffer, this is a picture of the man. And another thing that he said, he said, Silence in the face of evil is itself evil. God will not hold us guiltless. Not to speak is to speak. Not to act is to act. Comfort without commitment is cheap grace. So it's time for us as Christians to understand our role and authority from the Word of God, from Jesus, and the grace that we've been shown and the mercy that we've been shown and the measure thereof, we need to show to our neighbors. And this is what about loving our neighbors is all about. The, Bible, the second greatest commandment is love your neighbor as yourself. But what it also means, if I see my neighbor doing wrong, by allowing him to continue in his wrongs, I am just as guilty. And this is the concept that he's talking about. It's like Ezekiel when he is warned, he says, I, I'm telling you about the blood of these people and the sins, and if you do not warn these people of their sins, I will hold their sin accountable to you. It's that same concept from the prophets. So, but, you know, discipline, I mean, this is what the book of Proverbs says and the book of Hebrews. It says, for God disciplines his children because he loves us. Discipline is not man's discipline. It's godly correction and biblical reproof. And it's about speaking the truth of God in love. This is true love and true grace. So the measure that we've been afforded in grace is the same measure we need to afford others. We've been given so many chances. I know myself. Yeah? He, God could have given up on me a long time ago. In the darkness of addiction, the darkness of depression, all of these things, God could have given up. But He never gave up and He never gives up on any of us. Ever. He will always find an opportunity. So now, as Christians, let us find those opportunities to be the light bearers, to be the salt, and to use this grace wisely that's been given to us in the time that's been allotted to us. And that love has two sides. You know, the love has the nurturing, the nourishing, the mother, the feminine side of love. But love also has the masculine side of love. It has the discipline, the boundaries, the correction. And this is where the role of a man and a woman come in. Because the man as the king and the priest of the household, he is the head and the base. He sets the parameters, the boundaries. The woman, she is the heart of the household. She centers and brings everything together. 
So this love has two sides. The nurturing, the nourishing, the mothering, and then the discipline, the boundary, and correction. Can you just elaborate on not to speak is to speak and not to act is to act? <clears throat> yeah, it, I mean, I'll just use a practical example. It, Okay, we, we, we were in wilderness here, but I mean, most of us, we've been in big cities and whatever, you know, and um, you might be in a shopping center, you see some woman gets her handbag robbed from her, you know, and you see that criminal running off with a bag, and the woman's like shouting, help, 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 help. How many people actually do help these days? And that's a practical example. So, not to speak, so to, to, to remain silent is, is just as bad as, you know, it's, it's, it, it, it's an action. Because your, your choice is to be still. Your choice is, no, it's got nothing to do with me. You've made a choice. And that's what the, he's referring to here. So, you either speak up for what we believe, because Peter says, we'll always be ready to give a hope for the reason that we are not ashamed of the gospel. Always give a reason. And instead of stepping aside and saying, well, I can't really talk about this. So this is about the boldness as a believer. And this baptism of boldness that we need in Christ to be able to stand on the boldness of the word of God. And so the same is like not to act is to act. It's the same process. So by our behavior, by not doing something, is just as bad as doing something, you know, and, and so you, you take a choice, you don't sit on the fence, and this is what I was saying last week, it's time for us as Christians to get off the fence and choose a side, and line up behind our king, line up behind our general, line up behind Jesus, because he's the one, he's the word who set the beginning and the end, and when Jesus comes knocking on our door, when Christ calls a man, he comes and bids him, he bids him, come and die. This is Bonhoeffer. This week I encourage you to, to act and be decisive. And that's, that's the message. Don't, don't take the grace that's been afforded to us for granted and waste the grace that has been given to us. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. So let's enter into communal prayer. Okay, well, let's pray. Thank you, Lord.
and you have made us your own. We thank you for who you are, magnificent Father, a God who left his home in glory to enter into this world, to break the power of sin, Satan and death on the cross. So in you, Lord Jesus, we have life and we have life eternal. And we want to thank you for all that you are, for all that you've done, for all that you are doing, and for all that you are going to do. Thank you that your grace extends into our hearts, into our lives, transforming us into the image and the likeness of Christ. Lord, this morning we come and we Surrender all that we are to you. And we pray, Lord Jesus, that you will come and live in us. That we too, like Paul, can love to say, It is not I, but Christ who lives in me. We surrender all to you, Lord Jesus. For you are our all in all. You are all that we need. You are our strong fortress. And your name is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and they are saved. So Lord, we pray that you will give us, fill us with your Holy Spirit and give us the power to witness. That we will step up in faith, in the hope that we have in you, Jesus Christ. That you will come back for us. And Lord, so too, we pray that you will give us a heart for the souls of men. That we will see people coming into your grace, crying out to you for your word says that you so ever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. That we will preach the good news, the glad tidings, the gospel of peace to set the captives free. To heal the brokenhearted and bind up their wounds. Lord, that we will go out and be light bearers that we will be the light of the world and the salt of the earth because of the foundation that you have laid 
Lord Jesus Christ. With your spirit, give us the power to enter into your presence boldly, Lord, and to live victorious lives in you because of your love for us, Lord. We are more than conquerors. And we love you with all that we are, with all that we have. We give to you because it is from you that we receive. We love you because you first loved us. And we thank you, Lord Jesus, for your grace. We thank you for your mercy. And we thank you for this hour where we can reach out and boldly proclaim the gospel of peace. We thank you, Lord, that you have not written us off, that you have not forgotten about us. We thank you for your word says, I will give you treasures hidden in dark and secret places. Then you will know that I, the Lord of Israel, have called you by name. Lord, we praise you. We exalt your holy name. For there is no other name given unto man in heaven or on earth, whereby man shall be saved. My God, your works is love. The Lord your God, with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, and with all of your might, and love your neighbor as you love yourself. Peace, Lord, be with us, shape us, mold us, for you are the matter, and we are the clay. Save our families, our friends, our communities, our nations, the world. <coughs> for the whole earth is filled with your glory. Lord, please pour out your spirit upon all flesh, that our sons and our daughters will be saved, that they will prophesy, that young men will see visions, old men will dream dreams, and that we will live a life of expectancy, spreading the gospel as we wait for your return. With thanksgiving and hope, we worship you, we exalt you, for you paid the price for you, and we glorify your holy name. With thanksgiving, Lord Jesus, our Master and our Lord, our Savior and our King, we worship you and we thank you. All that you have in Jesus' mighty name. Amen and amen.
Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for the hunger that you create in each of us. That your Holy Spirit pours out into each of our lives. So that, Lord, we can pour out into others. Lord, you take the biggest mess and create the biggest message. You take the most broken of us and those broken vessels shine the most light. Father God, we thank you, Lord, that we have the certainty that for all eternity what you have said and done will remain. It will not move to the left or to the right. Nothing shall be added to or taken away from what you have already done. And Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to, Lord, to learn and understand history through your eyes, your story, your greatest love story ever told about the formation of a people the formation of a nation, the formation of men and women who are called and chosen and faithful according to your plan and your purpose and your completed work, Lord. We thank you, Lord, that it is impossible for you to lie. We know there is no other book and there is no other name under heaven that we can turn to for wisdom, for understanding, for knowledge. And Lord, let us spend time with you. Let our relationship grow more intimate with you. And that as you and, and, and we are reconciled together in our relationship, that as I draw closer to you, you draw closer to me. And I pray, Lord, that you would give us an understanding of the measure of grace that is given and afforded to each of us, Lord. And let us not take for granted. Let us not cheapen. Let us not squander. Let us not waste the grace that has been given to us, Lord. And that realize that it came at a price. The ultimate price for you the Ancient of Days, Jehovah. You gave your only Son so that we can be reconciled back to you. And Jesus, you sit at the right hand of God. And Lord, prepare us for the day of your coming. Prepare us for the time of your coming. Prepare us for the hour of your coming. And give us an understanding that, Lord, you win in a single hour the destruction of all darkness and wickedness will occur in this world. Babylon will fall in a single hour. All the wealth, all the riches, everything she has stored up will be taken away. Because, Lord, you have sought it fitting that you would give your wisdom and knowledge to babes, as you said. For it pleases the Father 
And Lord, you saw it fitting that you would take the poor and the needy and they would enter into the kingdom of God, Lord. You saw it fitting for the least of us to become great in your kingdom. And your way is not our way. So Lord, let us walk in victory this week. Let us walk in your love, in the duality of your love, showing the grace that is required that you have shown us by correcting us, Lord, by chastening us. That is grace. Because we didn't deserve. But yet, before we even knew your name, you called us by name. So Lord, call all of those and let us be a vessel for you to plant a seed and to, to water someone else's garden and to show the grace that has been afforded to us, to others, and to love others in both the loving and warmth, but also the correction as well, Lord. Let us understand the balance and the scales is all about your measure and your, your scales, not ours, Lord. We thank you for who you are, Maranatha Yeshua, come again Jesus. We anticipate your coming. And Lord, let us be a bride that is set apart and prepared and ready for you. That we have our robes of righteousness and fine linen from you. We get our eyes self from you. That we are not lukewarm, but that you have set us ablaze. You have set us on fire like lamps burning bright for you. So keep us, Lord, in this attitude of victory. Keep us in the humility of grace and the humility of favor that you have shown us, Lord. It's not about the year. It's, it, it, it's, it's, about, it's not about what favors you do for us. It's about what we have already received. received. For, Lord, it is better to give than receive. So Lord, as we bless others, so you will bless us. In Jesus' mighty name I pray. The name above all names. Hallelujah.